0: How are we feeling today? Good, I don't. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But I am going to open up with a word of prayer because we're not tapped out on prayer by 11 o'clock, right? Okay, hope not. If not, we got some more conversations to have. But, hey, let's pray. God, I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful that in the moments where I start to rely on my strength, God, you bring me to my knees and remind me that it's never been about me. It's always been about you. God, that all the things that happen in our life, good or bad, God, have the potential to point to you. And if they don't, it's not because they can't, but because we have the wrong glasses on and we're looking at it wrong. So God, let today be a moment for somebody where they see you, experience you, feel you in a way that they've never have before. God, may my words not be mine, but yours alone. In Him. I pray. Amen. I'm gonna be honest. I don't want to be up here today. I'm gonna be transparent today. Because we started a new series entitled Anxiety. I mean, I'm sorry, Soul Care last week. And we talked about anxiety last week. And as a person who is highly anxious, uh, I felt it to my core, and it felt like a kick in the teeth. And as somebody who has two fake front teeth, I understand that. When we talked about anxiety, we, we, we understand that we all have it, and that we all go through it, and that in those moments, we need to rely less on ourselves and more on God. We need to take the control that we think we have and understand that we actually don't have any of it. God has all of it. But today's a little bit different. See, today we're talking about grief. Grief. And I don't want to be up here. And if I'm being honest, I fought it. I did. I prayed against it. Because I'm in the middle of it. And so what I want you to understand is that this sermon is coming from a very real place. Of somebody who is broken and doesn't want to be up here, and yet God continued to make it happen. And whenever God keeps pushing, you either have to willingly deny it or just give into it. And this is a give into it kind of moment. And I think it's going to be a similar thing for some of you today. You see, when we talk about grief, we've all experienced it. We've all been through it, and chances are you're in the middle of it today. Good chance that you all are experiencing grief, maybe from way on, I mean, way early in your life, and you're still dealing with those emotions and those feelings today. I don't believe grief ever truly goes away. It's just a matter of how we carry it. How do we deal with it? And some people, we, we, we like to hide it and ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. We like to hold it back and repress it and act as if it's not actually affecting us when in reality, it's affecting us more in those moments. We just don't know what to do with it. So today, we're going to be talking about grief. And as you can tell, it's going to be a happy, feel good, let's do this kind of sermon. So when you actually look at like definitions of grief, and this is simply a Google one, okay? If you Google what is grief, it says this, and I do not have a slide for it, but it's the anguish experienced after significant loss. Usually the death of someone you loved dearly. And that's like the working definition that we're gonna work with today. Is that grief is the is the loss of somebody that you love. But then the definition goes on to say that grief often includes psychological, I'm sorry, physiological distress separation anxiety, confusion, yearning, obsessive dwelling on the past, and apprehension about the future. See, the lo- grieving can be caused by the loss of somebody that you love. It can be caused by the breaking up in a relationship. You are grieving the loss of somebody that you thought you were going to maybe spend your life with. Grieving can be experienced through divorce, the loss of a pet, childhood trauma, being alone. Grief is the phone call that you get whenever somebody's sick. Grief is the thing that sends chills up your spine whenever somebody tells you they're no longer here. Grief is that moment to where you don't know what to do so you just sit in silence because you have nothing to give. Grief is that feeling inside of you that you have no clue what to do. And even if you did have a clue, you couldn't do it. Grief is the thing that makes your heart skip a beat. And maybe you find yourself praying something like this we read here in Psalm chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, early this year, uh, my wife and I found out that we were pregnant. And we realized just how excited we were very early, telling our three-year-old that she was going to be a big sister, and it was great. But then one day, I was um, bringing Everly to, uh, to daycare here, and I just get a text that says, call me. See, Julie was at a doctor's appointment, a routine doctor's appointment to check on the baby. And you know instantly what it is. And you're just trying to keep it together long enough to drop off Everly so that you can get home. And you know that feeling that I'm talking about right now. You know the one where you get the phone call, where you get the text message, where maybe you just get that feeling in your soul that something's not right. You don't have answers. That's grief. That's feeling alone. That's keeping it together long enough just to drive home. And you don't know what to do with it. Here are some facts about grief it consumes you, it doesn't affect just your emotions. It's, it's also a physical thing. You feel it physically, you feel it mentally, you feel it spiritually, you feel it relationally. It's unpredictable, it's unpredictable. it has triggers that show up at any time throughout several different seasons. It keeps you awake at night, it keeps you asleep during the day, and it's going to take time to get through it. And what I can tell you is that you're going to experience most of these, and there's a good chance you're going to experience more of these. So you may be asking, okay, well, what's the hope in this? What good do we have in this? Because we're all sitting here and we're all feeling something about somebody that we've lost past, present, or maybe even the future. What do we do about it? Well, here in Psalm 34, I think we have a chance to see it. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Throughout our, uh, th- that whole week where we had to go to the hospital, where we got to deliver our beautiful son at 18 weeks, Whenever we got to experience eight hours with him, when I wasn't supposed to get any, yes, I was angry. We cried, and we cried, and we cried. But then you read a verse like this where it says that God saves the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. And I think if I had one definition for that moment, it was crushed in spirit. It was the first time in my life I had nothing to give. And I told you guys a couple weeks ago that in Romans chapter 8 where it says that the Spirit will intercede for you when you do not know with with inexpressible groanings. I had to experience that week after week after week. And we are four or five months removed from it, and I'm still begging God to pray for me in those moments because I got nothing. Grief happens. But that doesn't mean that God's gone. Matter of fact, I would argue that he's closer. We just don't feel it. God is near the crushed in spirit. So you may know that there, if you were to Google right now ways to deal with grief, you would have over 61, 700 thousand articles from Google alone on how to deal with grief. But one of the more popular ones that you all know of are the five stages of grief, which you have denial, you have anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. You see, with denial... Denial is the one where you're trying to convince yourself it didn't happen. It must be a dream. This isn't real life. Denial is hearing the news but not wanting to believe the news. Denial is you understanding what's going on but not fully accepting. Number two, anger. This is probably everybody's favorite. Because you can break stuff and not get in trouble for it, right? Anger, I figured I'd get an amen on that one. Anger is the one to where you just react. You could hit something. You could just drive. You could be angry at the doctor. You could be angry at maybe the person that you lost. You could be angry at your family. You could be angry at the hospital, your friends, maybe even the person in the mirror. Anger can show itself in so many ways. And let me tell you, I experienced it, and I'm still experiencing it. Anger is not a sin unless you keep it inside of you. What we do with anger is where we go wrong. Having anger isn't the problem. Reacting negatively with the anger is where we go wrong. And when we grieve, You are bound to do something that is out of your character. But don't let that be a justification to do it. Number three, bargaining. This is the one where you say something along the lines of, Lord, take me, not them. God, I'll do anything as long as you keep them here. I'll go to church every single Sunday. I'll put more in the offering parade. I'll, I'll pray more. I'll do more. I should have done this, I I should have done that, I could have done this, I could have done that. Bargaining is you trying to make an agreement with God with something that's already happened. It's very natural, very expected, because we all wish we could have done more. Number four, depression. This is the stage where it seems to be setting in, and you don't know what to do with it. For instance, depression stage can make you want to step back from the people in your life. The depression stage can make you restless. The depression stage can make you sleep nonstop, even when you're not tired. The depression stage can make you numb. The depression stage can make you completely apathetic to everything and everyone around you because you have nothing left to give because you're trying to give it all to your own emotions in that moment. This is the one that we seem to get stuck in because we don't have the energy to do something else. And number five, acceptance. This is the one to where you find yourself understanding more so and you're okay with it. Acceptance stage is where you're like, okay, I still have a life that I've got to move on with. And let me explain this to you as well. You will experience all of these and they won't be in order. As a matter of fact, you may find yourself uh, in the acceptance stage and you start feeling good and then something triggers you and you fall right back to where you were. And that's about where I find myself right now. I was feeling okay, thought we were doing okay. Life was moving on a little bit more normal, and then the sermon started coming up, and hey, God said, hey, you got a lot of stuff built up in there, buddy. The acceptance stage can keep you forward, but it also makes you fall back, and understand that's okay, too. If you find yourself being like, hey, I'm feeling good today, great, feel good today, but don't be surprised if tomorrow you don't. Nothing's wrong with you. You're grieving. If you feel angry for a moment, allow yourself to feel anger. If you feel sad, allow yourself to be sad. Because there's joy in the morning, even when it hurts. But then the author actually had a, uh, had a writing partner who came up with a sixth one that I think is very good, and it's one called Finding Meaning in Your Grieving. You see, with, with our little Noah, um, we delivered him at 18 weeks, and they had a thing called a cuddle cot. And what this is is like a cooling, uh, like, 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 like a little bed, like a little cooling uh, thing to, to kind of keep him with us longer. And when I said that we got eight hours is that if it wasn't for this cooling cot, we wouldn't have had more time with him. But that cooling cot was founded by a group of, fa- by a group of parents who had experienced what we experienced. And they realized that they could make this thing called a cuddle cot so that people like Julie and me could experience more time with my son. Eight hours I wasn't supposed to get. They found meaning in their pain so that we could have a little bit more purpose in ours. Whenever we grieve and we are finding meaning, we have scholarships in the names of people so that we could help others in their pain. You create things like a cuddle cot so that parents can experience more time with a kid they weren't supposed to get any with. You have vigils for people who are lost. Finding meaning is good because God is trying to use our pain for his glory. And that doesn't make sense sometimes, does it? But if the only meaning is for us to stay sad, then I think we're missing a little bit. Finding meaning. In Psalm 73, and I don't have this up here, you have a guy named Asaph, and, and Asaph is a guy who is, who, who's just kind of spilling it out there. And he starts out Psalm 73 by saying, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. And what Asaph is doing, he's getting ready to tell you a story where I almost lost everything. I almost let everything go. And he continues on in verse 2, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. So that's verse 2. And then for the rest of the, uh, of the psalm, he's walking through what almost made his feet fall. What almost made him call it quits on, this, on, on God, on everything. He's saying, I figured it out, but I almost didn't. So then you get to verse 16 when it says this. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless until I entered the sanctuary of God. Asaph began, begins his journey by saying, I almost let everything go, but it wasn't until I entered the sanctuary of God where I understood where it was. And it was in God's hands all along. And that's exactly where I am today. We are broken people. And if you think that the preachers who get up here and preach, that the worship leaders who get up here and worship, that we have it all figured out, you're missing it. We don't. God's just given us a platform to help everybody figure it out together. Being broken is not a bad thing unless we allow ourselves to stay there because then we're not letting God fix our brokenness. But even when your feet almost slip, God saves the broken hearted. Some days I get triggered differently. Some days I don't want to wake up and I don't want to fall through my mattress. Some days I sit back and ask God why. This morning was one of those mornings. Some days I feel off all day and I don't have a reason. Some days I just want to completely call it a day before the day begins. So what's the motivation? For the people who are grieving, for the people in this room right now who are experiencing this, what's our hope? What do we do? Let's read this. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In our pain, we should have steadfast love. In our pain, we have trusted in God's steadfast love for us. We will rejoice in his salvation. We will sing to the Lord because he has dealt with us. And it's kind of reiterated in uh, 1 Thessalonians when Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica. It's clear that they are dealing with this grieving process. And they're like, what do we do? And he writes this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, what do we see? What do we see here? We lose people who are close to us. The people in Thessalonica did back then. Why shouldn't we expect the same thing? We have hope during our loss. But more importantly, through Jesus, there is more to this story. Being followers of Jesus means that we have something beyond this life that we get to look forward to, that no matter whom we lose throughout all of this, there is a relationship that we have the opportunity to be in with Jesus that gives us eternity with him. So when we hurt, when we grieve, when we're sad, remember, he saves the crushed in spirit. So what do we do with it all? Number one, when we experience loss, we need to grieve. Whenever I lost my brother a couple years ago, somebody said to me, whenever you need to feel something, feel it, and don't be afraid to feel it again. Whenever we grieve, you're going to feel just about every emotion, possibly in an hour, If you were to get on your phone and go to your emoticons on there and start hitting faces, that's probably going to be you within an hour. And that's okay. God has given us emotions to enjoy our life, to feel in this life. And if we're afraid to show those emotions, then I believe that we're just kind of bottling everything up. Obviously, don't say sad forever, don't say angry forever. But allow yourself to feel what you need to feel and when you need to feel it. Don't be afraid of that. For instance, it's like, okay, well, what do we do with it? Here's a couple of examples just in the Old Testament. When Jacob died, we have this in Genesis chapter 50, that they grieved for 70 days. Whenever Aaron, the brother of Moses, died in, in Numbers chapter 20, we see that they grieved for 20 to 30 days. Whenever Moses died, we read in Numbers 34, that they grieved for 30 days. And here's a funny one. Whenever you hear about David and Saul back in the Old Testament, we know that Saul tried to kill David several times, right? So whenever Saul died, hey, hey, how long should I grieve? One to eight hours. So if someone tries to kill you, give yourself like an hour, and then just let them go, okay? But the point it is that, that we're trying to make here is that we have to grieve. And I don't think you can put a number on how long you're allowed to grieve. You can allow yourself to feel it, in my opinion, whenever you need to. When I say that I have triggers, I mean it. Whenever you are like, where is this coming from? Don't repress it and say, I shouldn't feel this. No, you should. You had somebody in your life that affected you, that mattered to you, that you loved and that they loved you. Don't be ashamed of that. here's some things from these stories. Give yourself time to grieve. Duh. Give yourself the time to, 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 to just feel what you need to feel. If you need to cry, cry. If you need to yell, yell. If you need to talk, talk. If you need to sit in silence, sit in silence. I had a lot of angry moments with God. But good news is, is I believe I serve a God who can handle that. Whenever I'm yelling, God, why did you let this happen? I think God said, I got you. Have it out with me. Because I think we have a God who's big enough to handle it. So let yourself feel what you need to feel, but don't let your anger keep you from your relationship with God. He's he's wanting to point you closer, not push you away. Number two, continue to be present in your grief. Whenever you're experiencing this kind of grief, whenever you're wanting to to, to just kind of feel it, your natural reaction is going to want to be to seclude yourself, to isolate yourself, not talk to anybody. At least that's for most people. We don't want to be in the spotlight because whenever, listen, if you start hugging me when I'm crying, it's going to get worse. Okay, don't hug me when I'm crying. If I push you off, it's not personal. You're just making me cry more, okay? Be, Be encouraged by that. But be present. Don't let yourself isolate. And that was really hard for me this past year because I wanted to. Number three, stay engaged spiritually. Stay engaged spiritually. You're going to have moments where you're angry at God. But don't let your spiritual life suffer because you're afraid of what the outcome might be. Understand that when I say that God wants to point you more towards himself, I mean it. Because God wants to use your pain to help others in their pain, and that way he's glorified because you know it's not your strength doing it. If it was my call, I wouldn't be here today. But it's not my call. And I'm grateful that God gives me the strength and gives you the strength to do just that. Number two, when we experience loss, we need to grieve in community. Sorry. Whenever it was going on, I didn't tell this story at the first service, I'm going to do it this time. Um, our friends, um, they came to our house and uh, they just prayed with us right before we went to the hospital. And I've been a part of several prayerful conversations. But whenever you're the one that's having to be surrounded, it has a different meaning behind. We sat there for probably about anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, and we just had uh, the Shays and, and, and the Martins, and we had uh, our, friend, our, our friends, the Milans, we had um, the, the, the Wileys, we had so many people where we just bowed our heads and we just cried out. We asked for miracles, we, 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 we asked for comfort, we asked for anything that we could get, and it was all because we had a community. At the hospital, Caleb Martin, who was working there at this time, uh, and my mother-in-law, we were sitting in the the room, and and it was the first moment to where I had nothing to give, and I lost everything. And what I mean by that is I lost my mind. I wept, the hardest I think I've ever cried. And Caleb and my mother-in-law didn't say a word. They just sat there. Whenever Julie and I first started going through it, we didn't say a word, we just sat there. On Easter, two days after we um, delivered Noah, Julie and I didn't want to be here. And we fought God on it too. And God said, you need your people more than ever now. And we picked ourselves up and you stood up and you prayed for us. Because we sat in the back, and we were covered by, by, by the shades and by the Martins, and, and we didn't want anybody talking to us. And yet, during the last song, Julie and I just grabbed each other's hand, and we walked forward, and we didn't even talk about it, because we knew that we needed you more than anything in this world. And the point behind me saying any of this is that when people are grieving, whenever we are going through it, whenever we're trying to fight these battles, it's you who gets us through sometimes. And God gives us relationships to get through those times. So that's why you have your small groups. That's why you have your friendships. That's why you have all these different things that say, hey, when you don't have anything to do, we'll pick you up. Because there are going to be moments where you have to pick them up too. And that's community. That's you saying, we're behind you. And I believe that is where the church should be the strongest relationship in your life. Because if it wasn't for our friends, our group, I cannot say with confidence that I would be standing here today. Yeah, serve a God. This is a, this is a real one. This is a real one. Joel showed up at our house and, and brought us food. We had my students upstairs right now with our student leaders who, who, who organized a, a, a secret uh, like, uh, gardening thing at our house while we were gone just because they wanted to support and love us, and we should be doing that for every single person who was going through it. So thank you In Job chapter 12, chapter 2, we read this. So when Job's three friends heard all of this that had come upon him, and Job was going through the ringer here, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And I like to think that like, they had like, all these things planned out to say to him, like, hey, when he says this, we're going to say this. And so they're, like, they're thinking. And yet when they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him. And they raised their voices and they wept, they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Sometimes the best thing for you to say is absolutely nothing. Simply being there for your friend, simply being there for your family, that's enough. Hey, what do you need? I'm here when you need. If they push you, push, push away from you, go to their house. And just be there. Just sit. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. In the New Testament, you see a phrase a lot called with one another. And here's a bunch of examples: welcome one another, greet one another, love one another, live in peace with one another, serve one another, help one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, build one another up, and of course to comfort one another. Grieve in your community. Let your relationships build you up when you need it, because they are meant to be the greatest relationship is with Jesus. And lastly, when we experience loss, we need to grieve in the community, but with hope. Remember back in Thessalonians when it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. As followers of Jesus, hope in that life that we talked about is the greatest thing that we could have because that means everything. When we understand that this life is a temporary one and that everything that we have here is meant to point back to Jesus and the relationship that we have with him for eternity with him. That means that all the things that we're going through, all the pain that we're experiencing, all the grieving that we have, God says, I hear you, I'm here for you, and I want more for you. In 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, it says, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You cannot escape being made in the image of God. And when we have, and when we see, when we realize just how important that image is that we bear, that gives us hope in the dark times. I don't have this on the screen, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, it says, For in this hope we were saved, and that's the hope of the eternal. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, Whenever everything happened with Noah, our biggest fear was having to tell our daughter, a little three-year-old who was so excited to be a big sister. So we went and we actually found her a little snow white dress, princess dress, and I'm pretty sure it was the only princess dress she didn't have up to that point. So we really lucked out on that one. She put it on and we were sitting in our living room And we talked to her. Everything that we heard, everything that we read was, you know, don't shy away from telling kids no matter what their age is, what's real. So we sat her down and we said, baby, you know how we were expecting, you know, little baby Noah. She said, uh-huh. And we said, well, baby brother's not going to be here. She said, didn't Baby baby brother died? We said, yeah, he did. And then she kicked me hard in the teeth because she said, so baby brother's with Jesus now? Yeah, he is. And she said, he's okay then. And when a three-year-old can remind a 32-year-old that Jesus is there in the midst of my pain, imagine what we can do with our age, with what we know, with what God has blessed us with. As the band's coming up, I I just want to say this. You're going to go through it. And you're not going to figure it out instantly. You're going to have hard moments. You're going to have hard times. You're going to experience it several times throughout your life. And some are going to hurt more than others. But what I also know is that God's character doesn't change just because of our circumstances. And I had to remind myself of that because there were days and moments where I didn't feel it. God's good. And when you grieve, don't forget that. You may have to have conversations and you may have to go through some some emotions and you may have to deal with some stuff. But you can't escape it. But God wants to help you through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, for a strength that's not mine. I know that. God, we're feeling it because I believe everybody grieves. God, this story, this sermon, this this message is not about Philip. It's about you. And this is simply me saying that you have gotten me through this, that you've gotten Julie through this, the strongest woman on this planet. So, God, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what we're going to feel some days but what I do know that when you say in Proverbs to trust in the Lord your God with all of your heart and to lean not on your own understanding but in all of our ways to submit to you and you make our path straight that takes Philip out of the equation because it's only by you by your blood by your sacrifice by the future hope that you have in you that we have life today our loved ones, our gifts that you have given us, God, they're not ours to own. So God, thank you for Everly's reminder that being with you makes everything okay. In your name I pray, amen. We're going to sing one last song, and if you have anything you want to pray about, talk about. Joel, be on your left, I'll be on your right.